Welcome to the Dwelling Place Church audio podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's message. We pray God speaks to you today through this message and through His Word. For more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org. Now, it's time to listen to this week's message. I want you to go to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1. A few years ago, I heard of a story of a of a student who was uh, at a local university uh, at an or- ornithology class. You say, what is an ornithology class? An ornithology class is the study of birds. And he thought, you know what, I'm going to take this class because it's going to be an easy A. And, and uh, he jumped into the class. He was thinking, man, I'm going to pad my GPA a little bit. But what he found out very quickly is that it turned out to be a lot harder than he ever imagined. Not only did he fail a couple of his quizzes, but he... He knew, man, this, this professor is the most strong, uh, most passionate bird fanatic I've ever met in my life. I mean, he thought, you know what, this is going to be an easy class. And so he had failed three tests. He needed on the final exam a high A just to get a C in the class. So he, because it was the hardest class he'd taken in his whole career, studied the most for the ornithology final exam. He did all that he could. He knew where the birds were positioned. He knew where certain species were on the globe. He knew the birds that were extinct. And he was ready. He felt like he was prepared. He went into class for his final exam, and he sat down. And the teacher lifted up a sheet that was covering the board. And on the board in front of him was 35 different sets of bird legs. 35 sets of bird legs. And the teacher said, this is the whole final final exam. I want you to name every single bird. By its legs. And the, and the, and the student is, is just highly ticked at this point. I mean, he's thinking, are you serious right now? I studied. And he closed his test book, raised his hand, and he said, uh, sorry, professor, but this is not fair. He said, professor said, no, it's fair. He said, I told you anything could be game on the final exam. He said, well, I've been studying all about these extinct birds. He said, I've been studying for, for, year, for months, and, and it feels like, you know, day after day for this final exam. And he said, I'm sorry, you're going to have to take the exam. He said, no, this is not fair. He said, I refuse, in fact, to actually write down one single bird. He took his test book, and he closed the test book, and he got up to walk off. And as he got up to walk off, the teacher said, where are you going? He said, I'm done. I'm not taking this class anymore. And the teacher looked at him and said, listen, no. He said, oh, you have to. He said, no, 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 it's not fair. He said, okay, you got that? He said, okay, right now, you fell this course. What's your name, son? He said, I don't know, professor. You tell me. What's my name? You tell me. You know, you. Sometimes life has unfair tests. You know what the book of 1 John is? It's a book of tests to know whether or not your relationship with God is genuine. That's all it is. The book of 1 John is a, a test about your genuineness of your faith. The book of 1 John is a test to know whether or not you are really in the faith. Is your experience with God genuine? I told you in the, in the second week of the series that 51% of people in Atlanta, our culture, they believe they are right with God because they prayed a prayer or they got baptized or they got confirmed or whatever your tradition called it. They believe they're right. But plus, all on top of that, all the other religions and world religions that are in our community, they believe that they are right. And so the question that John begins to beg is, how do you know that your experience with God is genuine? How do you know? In Matthew chapter 7, Jesus warns people, and he warns a lot of people who on the last day will say to him, Lord, Lord. In other words, I, I prayed to ask you into my heart. Lord, Lord, I've received you into my heart. And the Bible says that Jesus will turn them away with terrifying words. And he'll say, depart from me. For I never knew you. So we looked at some signs of what should not be our assurance of salvation. People are going to say, but Lord, we prayed the sinner's prayer. There's a lot of people that will pray the sinner's prayer that will never make heaven. Lots. And Jesus say, I never knew you. But they say, but Lord, we knew lots about the Bible. He'll say, yes, you knew the scripture, but you never knew me, and I never knew you. They say, Lord, but we were in ministry. In fact, I told you two weeks ago in Matthew 7, this group is so active in ministry, they are the cream of the crop, y'all. They are the church's highest ministry. Like when you're a part of the casting out demon ministry in your church, that's varsity. You are not playing JV anymore. You've graduated. They'll say, yes, Lord, but, but we were moral. And they were, but they didn't prove they knew Jesus. And so in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, the Bible says, I've written these things that you may know. Everybody say, no. That you know that you have eternal life. There is 
A desire because God loves you and because real love only grows in the soul of security. There's a desire from our Heavenly Father to communicate great assurance to His children. This is true. So today as I was studying, I had made it through 1 John 4 and I got the cards printed. They already come to my house and I began to mow my yard on Friday. And my two and a half years here at Dwelling Place, I've never done this. I've had multiple thoughts, but I've never been so deeply stirred to, to transition and go a different direction. So I want to go just for a few moments to 1 John chapter 1. And I want to talk to you about one of the tests you can know that you are an extra child of God. The assurance of your salvation. I want to talk about friendship with Jesus. Everybody say friendship. Another way we can say this is fellowship with Jesus. And of course, if you're going to approach that subject, I suggest you go to a book that's written by a man who claimed to be Jesus' best friend. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. John, who is the fourth Gospel and the writer of the fourth Gospel, he is also the one who wrote, as we believe, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John. John the Revelator, John the Beloved, also is the one who wrote the book of Revelation. You will notice in 1st John there are lots of similarities between the Gospel number 4 and 1st John. See, John, if you remember, was this guy who was who we find in John chapter 13 at the most climactic moment in Jesus' life and ministry, he's literally laying back on Jesus' chest. He's so connected and so in love with the Savior that he's reclining on Jesus. In fact, in a very awkward fashion, John the Beloved, in his own gospel, John refers to himself, which is a little bit awkward in third person, he refers to himself as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Translation, I'm Jesus' bestie. John is BFFs with the Lord. He's really close. So we will go to a portion of Scripture written by a man who 100% believed himself to be the best friend of Jesus when Jesus was physically, visibly walking among us on planet Earth. And what John's about to do, follow me, church, is he's about to invite us into that same friendship, that same relationship he had with the living Lord. He wants to welcome us into this. Oh, this is a beautiful book. Read with me 1 John chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Notice what the scripture says. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and we've touched with our hands. Concerning the word of life, the life was made manifest and we've seen it and testified to it and proclaimed to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was made manifest to us. Wow. He goes on and says, that which we have seen and that which we've heard. You've already said this, John, say it again. We proclaim also to you. You've already said that, John, say it again. So that you too may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Now look at verse 4. And we are writing these things, he says. Why are we writing? Why is 1 John written? So that our joy and that your joy may be complete. Wow. I want us to pray real quick and ask God to move in a mighty way. Father, I pray in these moments that we come around your word as a community, rehearse the sufficiency of our Savior. I pray that you would illuminate our hearts and that today we would true have true fellowship with you, true communion with you, friendship with you, God. I thank you for your gospel. I thank you, Holy Spirit, that you're shining a light on the sun. Jesus Christ, and I know that if we'll see Jesus today, we'll never be the same. So we give you praise to this in Jesus' name. Everybody said, Amen. I want to start off this morning with dating advice. And if you're married in the room, I don't know, just use this with your children. I want to do a little dating advice. I was reminded of the most uh, valuable dating advice I'd ever received as a teenager. My parents were great parents. I grew up in a great home, although not a believing home. My parents were very solid parents. And one of the most solid pieces of dating advice I ever received as a, as a teenager all centered around the big idea of settling. Everybody say settling. And my parents would come to me in my early teenage years and they'd say, son, there's two things you don't want to settle for. Here's the two things. And then when I came to Christ, it added, they said, you don't want to settle for God and you don't want to settle for your spouse. In other words, they said, there's two things you, you want to get right in your life. Two things that absolutely got to get right in life. Who your God is and who your spouse is. And so I remember my mom coming to me and saying, Craig, don't settle for number two, which often comes just before number one. It's the biggest piece of advice I give to, to single people, by the way. Number two always comes right before number one, almost every situation I've ever been in. And number two comes right before number one. 
He often, she often shows up right before God's best. And so they always said, you know, don't, don't settle for number two. Something very interesting they would always say to me. they say, don't settle just for the outside. I'm like, Dad, what do you mean? He's like, you know what I mean. <laughs> like, like, make sure you don't settle just for the outside. I'm like, what are you talking about? He's like, everyone gets old. And, and you got to make sure that person that you marry is somebody you want to have a conversation with by yourselves when you're 80 years old. And so make sure you can laugh together, son. Make sure you can spend time together because the outside, it gets, uh, how do you say it? It gets saggy, you know. So just so make sure it's more than just the outside. Don't settle. Well, my grandma, you all know, is my only believing believer in my family. So my grandmother then, my parents were hitting me from the natural side. My grandmother would hit me from the spiritual side, and, and she was very direct as well. How many had a direct dad or a direct grandma or a direct mom? Anybody have a really direct? Okay, cool. So awesome. You got it. So, so I've been spending some time in First John, actually a lot of time, and I, I couldn't help but get the same sense from John as a lot of us do from our dads. Like you got to understand that John is writing First John at the end of his life. He's writing from Ephesus. He's writing from Asia Minor. As far as we can tell, if you haven't read 1 John, you should pick it up. Click on Instagram, click on Twitter, hit uh, hashtag 1JohnTober, and you'll see all types of people in our community that are reading 1 John every day. And they've been giving insights and, and quotes and all kinds of good stuff. But I love it because when you begin to read it over, you get the tone of a dad. This is John late in his life, and he's a very direct father. He's, he's, a, he's a lot like mine, and John seems to be really communicating to us what my parents communicated to me in 2001, my dating days. Don't settle, Craig. Don't settle. Whatever you do in your relationship with God, in your walk with God, in your faith with God, don't settle. First John was written between the years of 85 and 95 AD. This was a circular letter that made its way through Asia Minor. He's writing to address believers, you got to understand the context, believers who are leaving the church in Asia Minor. But they're not leaving for the reason you think that they would leave. They're not leaving because they don't believe in Jesus. They're not believing because they've gone in spiritual defection. They're not believing because they have church splits. They don't not believing are not leaving because they're mad at other Christians. No, they're leaving because the church isn't spiritual enough. Ever heard anyone like that? It's not spiritual enough. It, it, in other words, they're saying, you know what, I love this Jesus, but this isn't going to work for me anymore. You understand? I need more meat. This is not enough, this is not enough meat for me. And so these were extra spiritual people who believed that the message of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, was like Christianity 101, but they wanted more. This was a prolific error in the day that John writes, a prolific error that he's addressing in the church, because they thought gospel was just 101. They wanted visions. Come on, somebody. They, they wanted levitations, and they wanted angels, and they wanted dreams, and they wanted metaphors, and they wanted to name their angels, and so on and so forth. So they start leaving the churches. Now, John is late in his life. He puts pen to paper, and he does in a direct way like a dad. In fact, the entire vocabulary used in the New Testament, do you know this? How many words are used in the Greek language? 5,437 words. Did you know that? The whole New Testament has 5,437 different words. You know how many vocabulary words John uses in three letters? First, second, and third John? 303. Which is to say, he ain't got time to give ornate language. This is a daddy looking at his kids in the face and saying, I need to remind you of some stuff. You're you going to follow me this morning. This is, this is fire in my bosom right now. I'm using 303 words of the 5,400 in other words, which is to say, this is going to be straight and simple, church. He's talking like a dad. No ornate words. You're going to see enormous repetition all through the book. In fact, did you know in 1 John, one out of every three verses has the word love in it. So evidently, John says love is an issue that needs to be addressed in the church. It's big in his mind, and John seems to write to a specific error that the splitting church as this error that people want more than Jesus. People want more than the gospel, and John writes. Did you notice there's no introduction? Don't you like that? Every other epistle has an introduction. Every other epistle is like this. Hi, I'm John. I'm a church planner in Asia Minor. I knew Jesus. 
I walked with him. I'm an apostle. Here is my resume. No, no, no. By the way, you won't find one name of one person or one place in entire 1 John. It's the only book in the Bible. You won't find one name. You won't find one place. Why? He ain't got time for that. He's a dad talking to his kids about something that needs to be addressed. In fact, verses 1 through Three and a half, we just read it. It's actually in the Greek language, it is just one single long sentence. It's like a run on. I mean, like he's shooting straight with him, right? John comes out like a dad, not mixing his words and not taking a lot of breath early on. This is like one big breathless statement that John makes. So he hears about these individuals who are saying, Jesus is cool, but I had a visitation from an angel, and he told me there's more, and, and there's deeper depths to mine, and, and we got to get a little bit deeper, and, and Jesus is cool, but, but there's, there's more to it. There's more spiritualness, if I can use it, we need. And John hears it, and late in life, this is, by the way, why I pray we have some more gray hair in our church and dwelling place, because the Bible says gray hair is a crown of wisdom. It's what I pray for a lot, and I love people who have been following Jesus for a long time, who are late in life. Oh yeah, they're sweet and kind, but they just tell you like it is. And we need some young people in our congregation to have some people that who are 75 and 65 think up and wake up one day and say, you know what? Oh, wow, I'm, I'm 80, and I've seen where you're at, and you're dumb, and don't do that, and stay with your spouse, and stop giving up your job every six months because you're not fulfilled. We, we need some people like that to look at some younger ones, and this is it. And, and, and if you're that younger person, you're like John, you're like the, the recipient of John, like, thank you. I didn't need someone to come tell me, brother, I'm praying for you. You don't need no brother I'm praying for. You need, you're dumb, don't do it. You're dumb, don't, don't make that decision. I need someone to... So say, you know what, stop doing that. So John seems to approach us in this way. In his long, breathless sentence, I love this. This is classic John. Look what he starts with. He starts with the word beginning. If you read John's gospel, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God, and the word was with God. He loves the word beginning. John uses beginning all the time. Beginning, 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 beginning. Why does he use beginning? Because, and, and here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to try to read it to you, if I can do this. And, and, and I'm going to read it to you the same way that John wrote it. Is that possible? Just the same way that John wrote it, and maybe probably even spoke it. You say, why are you doing it? Because it's the 930 gather. I'm going to try it. You ready? Here's what he says. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which you have seen with our eyes, which we looked upon and touched with our hands, concerning the word of life, the Lord was made manifest, and we've seen him. We testify to him and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was the Father made manifest to us, that which we have seen. We are because, oh, I tried. This is what John's doing. He's not breathing. He's coming out of the gate and clearly commuting, setting something of importance. It's one Long sentence from an old saint who was with Jesus. Now I want you to try to imagine with me. Come on, let's get a creative imagination for a moment. Imagine that you felt the hairs on Jesus' chin. Imagine that your top of your head has brushed up against his beard. Imagine if you laid on Jesus' physical chest and you heard the heartbeat of Jesus. Imagine if you walked with him. Imagine if you cried with him. Imagine if you laughed with him. Imagine if you prayed with him. Imagine if you woke him up in the boat one night because he was sleeping in a storm. Imagine if you saw Jesus' eyelids closed. Imagine if you smelled his breath. Think about it. Here are these individuals saying Jesus is cool, but it's more than that. Basically, what is happening in the church in Asia Minor is they are taking Christianity and instead of making it about friendship with Jesus, they're making it about the application of profound teaching. And now Christianity's moved out of the realm of friendship with God and moved into the realm of fellowship. This is what's happening. They're, they're moving it into knowledge. It's now about ecstatic experiences. This is much what I grew up in when I was born again. Now it's about who knows the book the best. Now it's about who has something profound and deep to share to get on TV. Now it's somebody who's got the best quote next on Facebook. Now it's just Christianity is about great cliches, and it's about you getting smarter and about you learning more, and, and it's about who looks the best and who sounds smart and who is impervious to this plan 
planet and it's pity and it's finite things and it's about who lives above that and who stopped driving cars and just prayer walks wherever they go and and now it's just about like who doesn't even care about money and clothes because their heads are so set on heaven you know I mean who even cares about houses anymore and land anymore who has time to go to work because you're busy praying for so long I mean who has time to do these earthy things that's where it was headed and John writes with an urgency of a man who knew Jesus says hey 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 that which was from the beginning which is indicative of God's eternal state in the beginning was God he was always God we have heard he said that which we've heard and that which we have seen and then notice what he says I touched him with my hands I touched him with my hands. Now, how do you like those credentials flowing out of John, 1 John 1.1? 1, 1? I touched Jesus. He was real. I smelled his breath. My head's touched his beard. Like, if you ask me about my grandma today, like, we got out of the gathering, and you're like, uh, my grandma, who I deeply love and think about all the time, who's now with the Lord. They were, hey, Pastor Greg, tell me about your mamaw. You know what I would never say to you? I would never look at you in the eyes and say, well, first of all, you need to understand, she's very real to me. Like, you'd be like, okay, that's why I'm, that's why I'm asking you about her. I don't know if you believe my mamma or not because you can't see her and you got to have faith, but you can't use your eyes to actually see her. She's, but, but she was real to me, and I had a personal relationship with her. And they're like, okay, that's why I'm talking to you. Listen, if you asked me about my grandma, I wouldn't explain anything. Why? I would declare it. I wouldn't defend anything. She was real. I knew her. I had her hands on my head on multiple occasions praying for me. I've hugged her. I smelled her breath the night she was going on to eternity. I, she was real. What do you mean? What do you, what? What do you mean? She was real. I was there. And you can hear John, man, in his old age, and he's going, what is this I hear? What you, I saw him, y'all. I, I heard and talked. I touched his beard. I smelled his breath. I, I was there. He's real. And immediately John has the urgency to say it. Wait. Have you American Christians settled for teaching alone? Have you American Christians just settled for teaching? You westernized American believers, have you just settled us and settled into just knowing more about God and knowing more of the Scripture? Have you, have you settled for knowledge? Have you settled for understanding and you've forgotten that he was real? That our hands touched him? That we engaged him? We saw him? We heard him? And he's real? And he was real? And he still is real? And he goes on to verse 2 and look what he says. He said his life was made manifest. Everybody say manifest. He used the word manifest two times. I mean, this is repetition. And he said, look in verse 2. He said, I proclaim to you. I testify to it and proclaim to you. I proclaim to you, he says. I'm not here to explain anything. I've seen it. I testify to it. And I'm here to proclaim to you. I don't, you don't need no explanation. You don't need me to draw on some any other authority. I'm here to tell you, I touched this Jesus. See, when something's real to you, church, your first knee-jerk reaction when someone doubts it is not, well, let me kind of explain the details of the existence of my mamaw. You're like, what? If someone comes to you after church and they're like, hey, your, your dad's not real, you're like, shut up. He is. Right? It's flabbergasting to the person who's doubting someone who had great experience. What? No. I laid my head on his chest. I proclaim this to you. Look at verse 3. He goes on in verse 3. I love it. He says, and that which we have seen, and that which we heard. You've already said that, John. Why are you saying it again? Oh, that's what he wants. That's what we've seen, that which we've heard. And then he says it again. We proclaim to you again. You've already said it. Then he says, so that. Everybody say, so that. Now, right here in the text, for me, all of a sudden, everything comes in. And everything he is about to tell us is why he's writing this letter. He's about to tell us his objective. He's about to tell us his agenda. He's about to tell us the point of it all. You could argue scripturally that whatever comes after so that is 
Christianity's most profound explanation and what Christianity really is. Are you with me? What's coming after this is what Christianity really is. He says, so that, in other words, I'm proclaiming to you what I've seen. I'm proclaiming to you what I've heard. I'm proclaiming to you what I've touched. I'm proclaiming to you, and I'm testifying it was made manifest. In other words, John is saying, Jesus had skin and bone. Don't you hear John 1.14 coming out right here? And the word became flesh. In other words, John wrote in another part, he had skin and bone. What was the biggest error of this day? It was not only those people that were too spiritual, but it was something called Gnosticism. Gnostics believed that Jesus only touched and made connection with humanity, but he didn't actually become a authentic human being and so Jesus couldn't be that earthy John says Jesus is real earthy no he's 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 really earthy and they were saying oh he's not skin and bone he's skin and bone but he's not like a legitimate human being no he kind of like filled up body temporarily but he didn't have a normal life some of the Gnostics believe that Jesus never used the bathroom because he wasn't actually a man he just kind of touched skin he touched bones God just wanted to make some contact John saying no He was fully God, fully man. I saw the pain in his face. I saw compassion flow from his eyes. I saw tears drop from his chin. He's real. I was there when he was tempted in the garden, yet was without sin. I was there when he's crucified. I saw it. And now I'm writing this to you so that. Everybody say, so that. Now, when I'm reading along the text, Um, there's parts where you read the Bible and then words jump off. Well, I'm reading through this, so that jumps off. So that. And so now, what my mind does as a Bible student is my mind starts racing to fill in the answer about what he's about to say. So I'm thinking, oh, that which I've heard, that's what we've touched, that's what we've testified, that's what we've proclaimed, that's what we've seen. I'm writing all these things so that we might be forgiven. So that we might go to heaven. So that we might have purpose in this life so that we might be healed. No! I'm proclaiming to you so that you too may have fellowship with us and with the Father and with His Son. Wow. Wait, what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My whole reason for writing is that you could have fellowship. I want you to have fellowship. The best friend of Jesus just bottom-lined all of the faith. And he told us it was about fellowship. Christianity is not a set of internalized beliefs. Christianity is sharing the life of Jesus. Christianity is fellowship. The best friend of Jesus tells us, And it dawned on me, y'all, it dawned on me, it dawned on me Friday that I have settled for something less than what I believe Christianity really is. I find myself subtly, Savannah, and subconsciously settling without even having to be intentional about it. Before I even know it, you know what I've become satisfied with in this season of my life? Not with fellowship with Jesus, but with the feeling that Bible knowledge gives me. You know what I've become settled with in this part of my life? Not with feeling or fellowship with Jesus, but with the feeling that church attendance gives me. You know what I've settled for? Not fellowship with Jesus, but knowledge. You know what I've settled for? Not fellowship with Jesus, but a spiritual buzz. I've settled for social approval. I settle for facts about a faith because I'm analytical and that's how God made me, that I believe and it makes me feel good. So that becomes an essence without even me knowing it. That becomes the consistency of my relationship with God. Now, if you're a preacher like me and you have another opportunity to make Christianity about leading your church and preaching sermons. So I've got double duty because now if I preach a good sermon, I'm not going to lie to you, it makes me feel good. I preach a home run, I walk off. Woo, that felt good. So I can go home. Am I good? Well, I can spend Sunday evening good because you know what? That was a good sermon. And John says, I'm the best friend of Jesus, and I'm writing this letter for one reason, so that what? You will have fellowship with us. Isn't it crazy that the first fellowship God mentions is that we have fellowship between you and I? Fellowship between us. True fellowship as his children. And then he says, and with the Father and with the Son. That's crazy, y'all. Fellowship is the point of Christianity. 
Christianity is not the application of teaching. Christianity is the fellowship or friendship with God. That's what Christianity is. Now, I'm mowing my yard on Friday for about two hours, and I'm listening to the Bible on audio because I've already done with my message, 1 John 4, and I'm literally walking with my lawnmower, and I'm listening to 1 John for about two hours. If the people in my neighborhood would have seen me, thankfully I was in the backyard most of the time, they would have thought, this dude is emotionally unstable. I'm holding my lawnmower, and I'm picking up the other eye, and I am I'm just crying my eyes out. Because of the realization, I could hear my grandma from heaven who sees Jesus. She said, please don't settle. Don't settle for knowledge. Don't settle for Bible understanding. Please don't settle, son. I'm writing this to you. Why? Imagine this is an old saint who's walked with Jesus. In the latter years of his life, he hears of this error and he writes a letter and he only uses 303 words of 5,487. And some people call this a sermon. And he says, wait. Christianity is about friendship with Jesus. Do you know him? Are you in fellowship with him? Look at verse 4. Wow. Look at verse 4. This will make you feel good. And we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. That one, that one really got me. Y'all, like when I go on a fast, we're getting ready for our a week fast in January. I told you about it. I told our leaders tonight at a team rally, but we're going to forecast what we feel God's got on the near horizon. When I go on a fast, I'm talking about just going without food, folks. Just something petty like going without food. When I go on a fast, I get discouraged and sad. Like, my joy is not complete. And God asked me the other day when I was mowing my yard. He said, Craig, is your joy complete? I said, no, it's not. It's not. It still is tied to reaching a certain pinnacle in ministry for you. Doing certain things for you. Is your joy complete, Craig? No, Lord, it's not. I mean, I feel sad because I got diverticulitis in my colon and I can't eat fried foods or beef anymore. Dear God, we're talking about beef. I walk around discouraged. Never can go to Fogo to Chow my rest of my life. Like, dear God, why have you forsaken me? Eloi, Eloi, lock the son of the boy. You know, like, like, why have you forsaken me? Fastest way to get discouraged. Go on a diet, don't eat carbs. It's like, is my joy complete? And my mind started racing this week. Casey, would you come on up? My mind started racing. I'm thinking, well, how does my joy stay complete? How does my joy stay complete? And, and by the way, I just want to say real quick, stay in church. Please listen to me. Those who are new to this experience today, you're new to this gathering. If you'll stay in church long enough, you don't have to read the Bible. Now, we, we do believe you should read the Bible, and we want you to spend time before the presence of God in his word. But listen, you can just be in church long enough, and what will happen is scripture will get down in your heart, and then when God needs to talk to you, he will pull those scriptures. It's amazing. It's not that, it's not that hard. It's not that complex. It's simple, and this is how God works. It's awesome. That's why people who hate Awana in the Baptist church, I'm like, just let them learn the scripture. Even if they learn it with the wrong spirit at some point, they will get born again, and God will use every one of those scriptures to speak to them. You've known the scriptures from holy infancy, which are able to save your soul for salvation, he said. So just stay in church. And so I'm sitting there on my lawnmower, and I'm walking, and scriptures, wand just start beginning to go flowing through my head. And I started thinking, you know what? It's amazing. It's amazing. John 15 runs through my head, Juan, where, John, where Jesus says this in John 15. He says, I want my joy, I want my joy to be your joy and that your joy may be complete. Notice this. These things I've spoken to you, Jesus said, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. What, what is he saying? He, he, he's saying that I want the joy, that the things that bring me joy, Jesus is saying, I'm going to allow those things to bring you joy. And I'm thinking, what are you saying, Jesus? And he said, this is my commandment. 
that you love one another as I've loved you. Greater love has no one than this, that someone laid down his life for his friends. This is the first time all the scripture, the gospel narrative that Jesus calls the disciples friends. He said, you're my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants or employees, for the employee does not know what his master's doing. I'm not calling you employees. I've called you friends. For all that I heard from my Father, I have made known to you. All that I heard from my Father, I've made known to you. Listen, y'all. John was there for that. John was there when Jesus said that. John heard Jesus say, I'm not looking for employees, American Christians. I'm looking for partners. I'm looking for friends. And and I want to tell you some stuff. And I got stuff to tell you, church. I I don't want people at Dwelling Place to check off a list. I don't want their relationship with me about employees. I don't want the relationship. I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for people to get things done for me. This is not a game, Jesus said, of who knows the most. It's who wants to walk with me. Who will work with me. Who will be with me. See, as a pastor, my greatest temptation is to seek God for ministry. That's to seek God professionally. What do we call people who are intimate as a profession? Prostitutes. When I seek God for my profession, I've turned myself into and Him into a prostitute. And immediately I'm, 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 I'm on the lawnmower and Luke's gospel comes to my mind. And I'm reminded where Jesus says, This is my most joy. By the way, in all the gospel narrative, all four gospels, this is the biggest joy Jesus ever had in the text. This is not, this is a bad transliteration in English. It's going to make it sound near as bold as it really is. This is what we call mega joy. This is seen again in Acts chapter 8. And I'm reminded of where Jesus had the most joy. And he says, remember John said, I want your joy to be complete. I'm writing these things and your joy to be complete. Are you here today? And like you turn off the TV and you get sad because your show's over. Like you binge watch Netflix and now it's over and you're sad. Like you can't eat carbs and you're emotionally sad. Come on, folks. It's 2017, real life. And God said to me from the mower, is your joy complete? And I said, no. But yet John, at the end of his life in Ephesus here, he's insinuating that his joy is full. His joy is a joy he shared with his best friend, Jesus. And they've been walking together. And that joy has brought a satisfaction that transcends TV shows and beef and, and even food. This is an all-different joy. Don't you hear old man John? Can you hear old man John this morning? Do you hear old man John sitting back there putting pen to paper and saying, listen, I want you to know God and I want you to sit at the end of your life and I want you to find satisfaction and contentment that is full. I don't want your heart looking for anything else. And then then I want God, Jesus said, I want my joy to be your joy. So here's the question, church. Here's the question. Here's the question. My question is, what is your joy then, Jesus? Listen, listen. He said, I want my joy to be your joy, then your joy be full. So if his joy is going to become our joy and our joy is full, we've got to understand what his joy is. If I'm supposed to get what makes you happy, Jesus, and it's supposed to make me happy and give me joy, I didn't know what your joy is, Jesus, and this is what he said. Guess what? The most joyful moment we ever see in the biblical narrative. It's right here. God calls it mega joy. Luke chapter 10, verse 21. Look what he says. He says, in that same hour, the 72 come back and they're rejoicing because they cast out demons. They they cast out demons. They shared the gospel. They shared Jesus with people. And people were set free. People were delivered. And they come back to Jesus. And he said, in that same hour, he rejoiced. Terrible translation. It's not rejoice. It's more like he, he's beside himself. He is ecstatic. He is beside himself. And he says, he says, I rejoice in the Holy Spirit. And then he said to his father, he starts speaking to his father. Look what he says. He says, wow. Thank God. 
that you have hidden these things from know-it-alls. Thank God that you've hidden the gospel from cerebrals and intellectuals. Woo! Jesus says. Oh, you've you've hidden it, Father, from from people. And Jesus is so beside himself. And, and he said, You shared yourself with these little children, these little guys, these fishermen. He says, Father, this is your gracious will. You hid it from the smart people. So we have the most extreme joy Jesus ever experienced in his life. In verse 21, you skip to verse 23, and some scholars say now he rejoices to his father and he turns to the disciples and he has the most intimate moment he has in the entire gospel. So here's the moment. Here's the moment he has with the disciples. He looks at him, verse 23, and he turned to him and he said, probably, blessed are the eyes that see what you see. I tell you that many prophets and kings for thousands of years desired to see what you see and they didn't see it to hear what you hear and they didn't hear it and John was there John was there and Jesus is like whoa it's finally happening He left the Father to know that the Father would at one moment in his life start revealing his divinity to the people. And he's like, finally, it's happening. Oh, it's happening. Oh, yes. Oh, your eyes are being opened. God is revealing himself to the human being. And he looks at his 12 guys and he says, hey, I'm so happy because it's happening. And it's more important than money. And it's more important than stuff. It's more important than family, and it's more important than homes. John is sitting there thinking now that these people have 60 years removed, said it's more, they need more than Jesus. He's saying, Oh, I was there when Jesus said, This is what our forefathers dreamed of. We have the full manifestation of God, Jesus. And he's here. And look at the joy it brings him. What did he say in Luke 12, 32? Fear not, little flock, for it's your father's thrill to give you the kingdom. The joy of our Jesus was when people were able to see who he really was. Listen, church, we did not plant this church so that I could get up week in and week out and share knowledge with you. We didn't start this church so we could be more moral or we could apply the teachings. My God, people are dying all around us. They're dying and going to hell. We started this church because the Jesus that John knew is the same Jesus alive today. And he's real. And you know what Jesus' joy is? Sharing himself with you. Wow, that's his joy? That's his joy? I am wired. It hit me. I am wired by Jesus. And a part of me will be restless forever until what? Until I connect with Jesus. And as I was mowing, I started to repent. Those who are new, I see new faces. If you don't know what repenting is, it's a big word that means I started telling God I was wrong. I started just saying, God, I'm so wrong. I'm so wrong. I'm so wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. So sorry for settling, Lord. I'm so sorry for not pursuing you like I did when I first met you. I'm sorry for settling, Lord. And I told the Lord, God, I don't want to be the pastor that pastors this. It's my joy and my goal to pastor here for 40, 50 years I don't, I, until the Lord takes me. I, I don't want to be the pastor that pastors dwelling place for 35 years. And what I shared was great. And, yeah, we made a lot of impact in a community. And we planted churches around the world. And, and I shared great thoughts. And I shared great knowledge. And, yeah, people got discipled. And, and I shared about counseling and great steps to being a better father and a better mom. But in the end, we didn't touch Jesus. John said, I touched him. Listen to me. The most subtle but powerful trick of the enemy is to make Christianity and to make Christians more passionate about a specific belief or a cause than they are about Jesus. 
John says that's what it's all about. All this, look, 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 all this, no matter what we do, all this is nothing if we don't experience Jesus. If we don't touch Jesus, it, God, I just want to know you. In fact, he says the word fellowship. You know what fellowship is in Greek? It's koinonia. It means two things. It means communion and it means association, which means God, God is saying through, the, through John that, that I touched him, I had fellowship with him, means I will talk with him and I will listen to him. Why? Because me and Jesus have a common mission and a common interest and we are commonly working together. That is friendship. That's what Christianity is. He goes on in John 5 and I close. Jesus said in John 5, he looked at Pharisees, religious leaders. You know what he said? He said, listen, he said, you think this gives you life. This is what he said. You think this gives you life, don't you? Listen to him speak to American believers. You, you think this gives you life, but you don't know? They actually just point to me. But you won't come to me that you may have life. All this does is point to me. In other words... Jesus says, what if you, who cares if you know it cover to cover, if you know it but you haven't touched Jesus, who cares if you think it's a scripture quoting contest, this is not a scripture quoting contest, this is do you know Jesus? And that's what I told the Lord in my backyard. Lord, I don't care at the end of my life if my son is a preacher. I don't care if Marley ever leads worship. I really don't care if Harper ever serves in that capacity. But let me tell you what I want from my babies. I want to go on my deathbed and say, you know what? My babies know Jesus. He touched his beard. He smelled his breath. I don't want to settle, y'all. God, I feel the Lord in this room. He's walking among us right now. This is not a, this is not a scripture quoting contest. I don't know. Have you, have you laid on the floor recently, believer? Especially one that's been born again a while. Have you laid on the floor recently and you just laid flat? And you closed your eyes and you said, God, I don't really know what all this means, but man, I just want to hang out with you a little bit. If you don't mind, I want to hang with you. I'd like to grab your legs if I can, Lord. I, Kiss your feet. Wow. It's your joy to share you with me. I don't want to settle, church. I do not want to settle. You want to settle? You want to settle? know Jesus like John did. Well, I feel Jesus on this stage right now. I'm sorry if you're new, this freaks you out. Don't let it freak you out, man. But Jesus. Woo! I feel Jesus. Wow. I want to love you, Jesus. I want to, I want to embrace you and keep loving you and embracing and fellowshipping with you and Talking to you and hearing you and engaging. I was sitting in the parking lot of Target yesterday when I was fighting whether or not to preach this message or preach the message I already prepared. My wife went into Target and I opened up my phone and somebody had sent me two friend requests and they were two young men. Most of you know the story. I've told you before. Some of the first two men that I ever led to Jesus Christ were in Hickson, Tennessee at a place called Hidden Acres. It was a government funding housing where I would lead block parties on Friday nights. Inflatables, give out food, give out clothing. Multiple times in sermons you've heard me tell the testimony of when I've poured into those two young men, Josh Green and Brandon Real, for months until finally Brandon called me one night or one afternoon. He said, I want you to come over because I, I want to ask you some questions. I said, I'll be over in a minute. I got in my car, left the church, and I went over to Hidden Acres. And I remember the moment. I remember the place. We set our tails right there on the side of the curb, and, and Jesus revealed himself to that drug addict. Jesus opened up his eyes and revealed himself. And I said, Brandon, you can meet Jesus. He worked at Wendy's, and I led him to Jesus Christ right there in that government housing area. 
And when I did, he called me back later that night. He said, Craig, I, I rode my bike to Wendy's. And he said, I thought everybody was staring at me because I was smiling like I've never smiled before. And his joy was unspeakable and full of glory. And my joy was unspeakable, full of glory. But you know what? Even though you have moments like that, sometimes you get away from them. Sometimes you just move away from them in the busyness of what it means and you think it means to follow Jesus. And I've told that story. And if I'm honest with you, in the back of my mind, I've thought many times, I wonder if anybody else got in their life. I wonder if anybody else was in their life to be able to plant more seeds. And yesterday, while this message is brewing in my heart, I get a Facebook inbox from two young men who I haven't seen in over 10 years. His name is Brandon uh, Real and Josh Green. And this is what Brandon says to me. This is what he said. Hey, man, I don't know if you remember me or not, but you really changed my life. You really changed my life. I never got to thank you. I get back and said, my joy is complete, man. Woo! I want to sprint around Target. And then he, he hit me back again. And he says, yeah, I said, you, you and Josh had to be talking because y'all both friend requested me the same day. He said, I'm doing great. So yeah, Josh and I were talking about you and I thought back and just really learned a lot from you. I want to let him know I, I really appreciate what you did for me and Josh. Let me tell you what I did for him and Josh. I just simply fellowship with Jesus as a 20-year-old who was passionately pursuing the Son of God. And this is the picture of these two young men, Brandon Real and Josh Green, who today, 10 years later, are still believers, still pursuing after Jesus, still trying to change the curse of sin that has hit their family for generations. Why? Why? Because I was able to teach them something? Why? Because I was able to give them some Bible knowledge? No. Why? Because I spent time with them. Why? Because my joy was Jesus' joy when Jesus revealed himself to the non-intellectual. To the little flock. You know why Christians in America are miserable? Because they don't do the thing that brings Jesus most joy, which is sharing himself with people who don't know him. And your joy will not be complete, according to Jesus, until you live that life. You bow your heads with me all across this room. Father, I thank you. Come on, team. I thank you that you've hidden these things from the wise and the profoundly smart individuals. And you've chosen to reveal them to children and to desperate people. With your head bowed and every eye closed, listen to me, church. Isn't it amazing that, that the only people who ran to Jesus were children and desperate people? people who had their lives together and were in control and were reasonable and sensible never ran to Jesus. The people who run to Jesus are children. You know why Jesus said you got to be a child in the kingdom of God? It's not because children are pure. Children are not pure. It's because children are powerless. They're unable to achieve and ready to receive. My kids are absolutely powerless to do a lot of things. That's what makes them children. They're ready to receive gifts from dad and mom and love and shower and affirmation. Jesus said, You got to become like a child. Why? Because I don't need your strength. I got more, more than enough power. I need your weakness because I got none of that. Thank you so much for listening to this week's message. If you would like more information about our church, be sure to visit us on the web at dwellingplacemovement.org.